Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Infectious Diseases and the first one of 2018. Today we're discussing a new phase one study titled Safety and Tolerability of a Novel Polyclonal Human Anti-MERS Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus Antibody produced from transchromosomic cattle. And today I have two guests to discuss this study. First we have Dr John Beigel, who's an author of the study, and also Eddie Sullivan. Welcome both. Thank you for joining us. Please can you briefly introduce yourself for our listeners? So my name is John Beigel. Uh, I work at the NIH. I work for Leidos Biomedical, which is a consultant for the NIH. Uh, I am a physician trained in infectious disease and critical care, and I've been at the NIH for the last 17 years. And I'm Eddie Sullivan. I'm president and CEO of SAB Biotherapeutics, and we are the company based in the U.S. that uh, produced the antibodies that were used in this uh, clinical trial from the transchromosomic bovine. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. So first, can we go back to the start, and can you briefly introduce MERS, or what is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome for our audience? Sure. So MERS stands for Middle East uh, Respiratory Syndrome, and it's caused by a novel coronavirus called MERS coronavirus. Uh, It is primarily a respiratory syndrome, and while there are some asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases, many cases are severe and they present as multilobar pneumonia. They have been approximately 2,100 cases of MERS with over 700 deaths, which translates to a mortality rate of over 30%. It is primarily a zoonotic infection with transmissions from dromedary camels to humans, uh, though human-to-human transmission in the healthcare setting or less frequently in the uh, household setting make up a majority of these cases. 80% or so of the cases have been linked to exposure in Saudi Arabia, but there is concern that uh, MERS could spread and cause local or even widespread uh, outbreaks throughout the world. And and it's for that reason that there's a lot of interest in developing effective therapeutics for this infection. As you said, there's no licensed or proven treatment for MERS at the moment. So can you explain to our audience what passive immunotherapy is and why it may be an interesting option for some diseases such as MERS? So passive immunotherapy broadly represents the use of antibodies or other components of the immune system um, made outside the body and administered to patients as a therapeutic or prophylactic agent. The two main categories in that field are monoclonal antibodies and polyclonal antibodies. The principal advantage of monoclonals are they are very uh, homogenous and consistent and often very potent with effective uh, at very small doses, but these take much longer to generate. Polyclonal antibodies, which is the approach that we're taking, are similar to what the body would make after an infection. A large number of B-cell clones uh, expand and and target multiple uh, epitopes uh, for the infecting agent. Polyclonal approaches are generally faster to develop. Uh, and, and this polyclonal approach has been used for over 100 years. So it started with the use of uh, a plasma for diphtheria in the 1890s. 
Uh, it was used in Spanish influenza in the uh, 1918. It was uh, recently used in SARS and H5N1 influenza, uh, Ebola, and now, now MERS. The polyclonal antibodies can be administered either by plasma therapy or that plasma can be manufactured into concentrated antibodies, uh, which we call intravenous immune globulin or, or IVIG. And, and in that sense, it works just like an endogenous antibody response. But by administering it intravenously and early in the course of infection, uh, you develop a much faster response rather than waiting for your body to develop an immune response. What are some of the challenges in passive immunotherapy when you're using this plasma or immunoglobulin G from immune patients? So the passive immunotherapy um, with polyclonal antibodies requires collecting a large amount of plasma, which is the yellowish protein-filled fluid in in the blood. It typically requires collecting plasma either from vaccinated or or infected individuals. There are limits to how much plasma we can obtain from these individuals. Uh, Therefore, the challenge really is collecting sufficient supply of plasma that it can be used directly as a therapeutic or even uh, made into an IVIG in large enough supply that it can be used uh, broadly as a, as a treatment. Collecting that amount of plasma is difficult, and, and that's really what got our interest in these novel approaches uh, like the trans-chromosomic cows. So, Eddie, can you describe the rationale for the use of trans-chromosomic cows in this study? Well, as John already mentioned, the use of immunotherapy has has happened for a very long time, and, and we've been able to use antibodies or serum from both animals as well as humans in the treatment of several diseases. And recognizing that there could be some advantages in using a polyclonal approach, which is the natural way that our bodies fight disease, the issue became being able to produce large amounts of the polyclonal antibodies and have them be fully human because animal-derived antibodies might have side effects such as uh, immunogenicity being a foreign protein to humans. And so recognizing that there needed to be another source of human antibodies, uh, we had come up with this idea that if we could have a large animal species produce large quantities of fully human antibody, then that could be a source of this targeted immunotherapy uh, that would be polyclonal. So how are these cows engineered, as you would call it, to produce these antibodies? So these animals produce human antibody because we have transferred a human artificial chromosome, or HAC, to the animals that contain the germline repertoires of the human antibody genes, both the heavy chain and the light chain human antibody genes. And we also turned off the endogenous uh, cow antibody genes so that the antibodies that would be produced by these animals is fully human. And we were able to further uh, engineer the human antibody genes so that they would work well inside of the bovine B cells and produce the human antibodies in large quantities. And so these animals now produce uh, antibody levels that are between 15 and 20 grams of human antibody per liter of plasma collected from the animals. And because 
these are a large animal species, we can collect between 30 and 60 liters of plasma from each animal each month, which essentially translates into between 300 and 600 grams of human antibody. We then can vaccinate the animals to whatever disease that we are interested in producing the targeted polyclonal immunotherapy to. And so in this case, we used the MERS spike protein produced uh, by a company called Novavax, and we hyper-vaccinated these animals so that they had very high titers of MERS-targeted polyclonal antibody in their plasma. And then we purify the antibodies from the plasma to eliminate the uh, other plasma proteins to a very, very low level so that what we're transferring to the patients is primarily just the human antibody. Coming back to you, John, what were the main findings of your study in terms of safety and immune protection in humans? The biggest finding uh, from our study is that this uh, treatment appears safe. We enrolled 38 participants in our study, 28 of which received the antibodies in increasing doses, and 10 of which received uh, placebo, which is just a salt or saline solution. And we followed uh, the participants for 90 days. We collect any new symptoms or laboratory findings uh, in that period of time, and we call those adverse events. The most common adverse events were headache, albuminuria, uh, which is protein in the urine, elevated creatine kinase, which is a a muscle uh, enzyme that's uh, detected in the blood, and the common cold. But all of those adverse events were seen in similar proportions between the participants that received the antibodies and those that received the saline placebo. There were some adverse events, much less frequent, that were seen more common in those that received the antibody preparation. That includes low serum bicarb, fatigue, loose stools, But with a study this small, it's difficult to know if those are truly from the drug uh, or if those are just found in that group uh, more often by chance. These are the findings that will need to be evaluated in subsequent studies. We also showed that the drug has a half-life of approximately 28 days. And what that means is that the highest dose uh, we gave, there are good levels of antibodies and we would anticipate those antibodies to be effective against the virus and to last in the body well over a period of one month. This ultimately, however, is a small study, and it was done in healthy human volunteers. Uh, The safety and the duration of activity of the antibodies all need to be evaluated in a population of of people that were infected with MERS, uh, as these might be very different in that population. Uh, And lastly, while we had very good antibody levels that we would, as I said, we would anticipate those to be effective in neutralizing the MERS virus. We really can't say anything about actual efficacy of this drug. So this is just the first step in evaluating this treatment uh, and future studies are needed. Finally, what will be the next steps? You mentioned some further study, getting a bigger sample, populations and future tests. So what were the next steps for the development of immunoglobulins obtained from these transchromosomic cows? As John mentioned, the next step, of course, is to move into testing uh, these immunoglobulins in patients that actually have the disease. And so we will be moving into clinical trials 
uh, in areas where uh, the virus is currently circulating, primarily in the Middle East. And we'll actually uh, begin a study to test the antibodies in, in patients with the disease. That will be for two reasons.